everybody welcome back to another baseball america podcast i'm kyle glazer we're continuing our top 10 prospects series as always and to do that we are joined by the esteemed ben Badler to break down the milwaukee brewers farm system today ben first and foremost how you doing i'm feeling esteemed i appreciate that intro kyle how you yeah, doing doing all right uh no complaints here it's uh 80 degrees and sunny in Southern California in February. So I can't complain. I know you, uh, you've had a little worse in Boston recently. Yeah, now I'm not feeling as good. So thanks for uh, <laughs> rubbing that in my face, but uh, I need maybe I need to make a trip down to the DR soon and uh, get some of that uh, sunshine you, you guys are getting out there. Absolutely work on that tan. But uh, we talk about people who are feeling pretty good about things. The Brewers are in really, if you look at it, probably the best stretch in franchise history. They've made the postseason four years in a row after never making the postseason back-to-back years, except in 1981-82. We've seen them win the National League Central Division title twice in that span, including last year, uh, won 95 games, and they've become one of the best organizations at, at home-growing pitching. We've seen it with Corbin Burns, a homegrown Cy Young Award winner, Brandon Woodruff, who's developed into an ace, and even a guy like Freddie Peralta, who was acquired in a trade, but he was at the lowest levels in the minor leagues when he was acquired. By all accounts, he's been brought up and developed by the Brewers. As we move into this top 10, I do feel like we need to address that track record of successfully developing pitchers. How much did that shape how you ultimately ended up ordering the top 10 this year? Uh, you know, like when we rank the players, you just try to evaluate the players independent of what organization they're in. But that said, you know, whether it's talking to somebody inside the organization or somebody outside the organization, I do take the source of information's history into account, right? So if I'm talking to a scout who I've known for 15 years, and I feel like this guy's a really sharp evaluator uh, and is also very candid and straightforward with me, then I'll, uh, you know, I'll, I'll probably put more weight on that the same way, you know, if, if I'm talking to somebody in, in the Brewers organization, uh, let's say, who, you know, I think is a really good pitching mind, let's say, and, and I have some history with them too, uh, and they, you know, are, are adamant about uh, a player. Uh, and again, the, you know, I have a, some history and track record of them being candid with me about players. And yeah, I mean, that's, that weighs into it too. And um, you know, it's, it's hard to ignore the success that the Brewers have had with developing pitching. And, and you can certainly see some parallels too with, you know, their number one prospect uh, right now and Aaron Ashby, who's coming up and is, you know, sort of in this bullpen role initially early on in his career uh, in part, uh, just again, because of the depth of, <laughs> of starting pitching that the Brewers had in 2021. Not really a clear rotation opening for him, but I think long-term the idea is he will shift back into that uh, starting role again. I don't know if that's going to be right away in 2022 when the season starts, but I I expect it'll happen soon. And, And you can certainly see some, some parallels there to some of these guys who, they have brought up in in that same role, like you know, like Burns or or Woodruff, who were you know who were relievers coming in, 
you know, when they broke in and, and I, I think Ashby has that chance to develop into that, um, you know, maybe not a Cy Young <laughs> uh, contender necessarily. That, that's obviously pretty lofty. So uh, I wouldn't set the, the bar there, but I, I do think he has a chance to be someone who could pitch for the, the mid to, to top end of a, of a rotation of everything kind of clicks for him. Yeah, I do want to dive into Ashby a little more. You talk about some of the parallels. You know, one of the things that stands out is Brandon Woodruff was an 11th round pick. Corbin Burns was a fourth round pick out of a mid-major college. Mm -hmm. You know, these were not first round picks where everyone saw that had dominated. And Aaron Ashby similarly is a fourth round pick out of a junior college. What is working here in development? Because I do want to say Woodruff and Burns, by the time they got into pro ball, it was clear the Brewers had something and had done something right. Both these guys were two-time top 100 prospects before they reached the majors. It's just when they first entered pro ball, it wasn't clear they'd be anywhere close to what they've become. And we've seen Ashby kind of do something similar where he jumped onto radars at Instructs last year, moved into the top 100 this year. What does he do well and how does it fit overall into what the Brewers have done well in general? They've they've just managed to squeeze more stuff out of him. Um, I, I mean, I, whether it's them doing it or you know, Ash, I also want to give Ashby a lot of credit himself too for putting in the work to to do it. Because, um, like you said, coming out of college, he would you know he was a fourth round pick at a junior college, which is good. Uh, but he was you know uh, what I think like a touch of maybe ninety four coming out of college, and then last year we you know we saw like a stuff jump for him at instructional league when he got there it's such a 97 but uh or i should say 2020 i mean uh in instructional league so all right well how much stock do we put into this brief look where he's short throwing and short stints as what a 23 year old pitching against a lot of you know teenagers guys who are 20 years old <laughs> or you know some of them have never played out a rookie ball before he, he looked right there, but then the stuff ticked up again in 2021. Um, his sliders is, is a better pitch too. Uh, his changeup is making, uh, I would say, well, I mean, he's, it's making strides. I, I would say it's, you know, there's a chance to be a, you know, tick above average type of pitch for him. So the, the command still needs to get better, but I mean, his stuff across the board has gotten significantly better since the time they drafted him. So, um, you know, it's not like this is some, you know, 17-year-old from the Dominican Republic where, all right, yeah, you expect his stuff to or, – or you can, you know, re reasonably project uh, his stuff to get better, like with, uh, you know, Abner Uribe, right, in, in their organization who throws, you know, 500 miles an hour, but – um, you know, a little bit of an older guy and, and the projection, you know, really <laughs> came on with, uh, with his stuff. So it's, um, yeah, really, really exciting development of just his, his whole arsenal really, uh, across the board, but especially the, the uptick in his velocity, I think takes him to, uh, takes him to a new level from, from where he was uh, a few years ago. Yeah, we first started getting whispers that Instructional League last year, I highlighted him as one of the player scouts were really banging the table on. We saw him mm -hmm. then make his major league debut this year with 13 appearances, made four starts. One of the topics of conversation around Aaron Ashby, you will find a lot of people who are very, very quick to throw him into the reliever bucket. 
you mentioned you felt like he could be a, a potential number two or three caliber starter and wrote as much in your scouting report. What are some of the risk factors there in terms of start relief and ultimately what gives you the confidence he will end up more on the starter side of the equation? Maybe some of the confidence does go back to the track record with the Brewers and their pitching development. Um, I, I certainly see the stuff there to be a, you know, to, to if he can stick around in a starting role. I mean, it's certainly a starter's repertoire. The, the biggest red flag, I think, is the command, right? I mean, you see it in, um, you know, he, he's not wild. I, I, he's not just spraying the ball all over the place, but he, he does need to tighten up his fastball command. And you can even just see it in his, his walk rate to triple a it's, it's not like he, it's not like he dominated triple a either. Right. I mean, four forty one ERA it's not, uh, you know, it's, it's not overpowering uh, numbers, but when his stuff is on his, uh, his stuff can be, overpowering so it's it's just a matter of being able to um you know improve his fastball commands and and more consistently get ahead in the count because he does have that uh that put away pitch in in his slider uh, and the fastball can be a, a really dominant pitch too so um yeah i mean there, there's still some chance he he does end up in a, a relief role and, and maybe the brewers do end up using him like josh Hader. Right. Like that's certainly one uh, outcome, not, you know, and there's certainly an outcome where he's, you know, not the uh, caliber reliever of, of Josh Hader too. So that's a, a possibility, but uh, I, I do think there's, you know, just, you just keep seeing him getting better and better. And I, I, I am more optimistic that he can make those adjustments to, um, you know, continue to improve his fastball commands and, and develop into uh, that, uh, you know, that starter who can, who can really miss a lot of bats. Yeah, I mean, you look at it in his major league debut, the strike throwing wasn't bad at all. And, and the other thing is, this is a situation where the Brewers don't have to rush him. We mentioned Brandon Woodruff, Corbin Burns, Freddie Peralta, Adrian Hauser had a nice year last year. Eric Lauer pitched well. And, and even if he does move to the bullpen, I don't think anyone in their right mind would look at Josh Hader and Devin Williams and say, oh, they were starters. Now they're relievers. They're failures. They're two of the best relievers in the game and weapons that ultimately help make the Brewers a, a World Series contender, or at least have a World Series contender caliber pitching staff and uh, even if that ends up being Ashby's ultimate outcome I, I definitely do think there's a chance for him to make a significant impact then we've talked about the Brewers pitching development how successful it's been and, and how really it's elevated them to uh, again this is the best run in franchise history four straight postseason appearances the flip side of that is and it's funny it's something I didn't really think about until a scout pointed it out to me in a conversation as an organization, they have really, really, really struggled to successfully develop homegrown hitters. I went back and looked, and realistically, you know, with Keston Hura going sideways, and that one's mind-boggling just because that was one that seemed like such a slam dunk, they haven't really developed a successful homegrown hitter since you, re you really have to go back to Jonathan Lucroy and Scooter Jeanette, who came up early part of the 2010s. And the last bona fide star they developed offensively was Ryan Braun. So there has been a little bit of a drought there. And where this becomes relevant is after Aaron Ashby, there's a lot of really intriguing position player talent in this system. Now, it might not all be stars, but you look at guys, whether it's Bryce Terang, Garrett Mitchell, 
Uh, you see guys like Sal Frelick. You see a guy like Joey Weimer, who, who was really tooled out. There, there are position players here that are intriguing and interesting to work with. How do you kind of assess their likelihood of reaching their ceilings, given the Brewers' struggles to develop effective homegrown position players consistently, at least? Yeah, and it's uh, like if you just look at the Brewers' drafts, too, and you know, I'd say their international class, too, although pretty much every team's international class is, is tilted toward position players anyway, but um, you know, they're, they've, they've really leaned on position players and, and you can see that in, <laughs> in their drafts, you can see it in their farm system. I mean, after, after Aaron Ashby, like, I, I don't think there's a whole lot of pitching really in, in the organization. I mean, you know, I, I wish Antoine Kelly had been able to, to stay healthy because he really looked pretty exciting uh, a couple of years ago. Um, but otherwise, yeah, like you said, it's, it's really tilt toward, uh, position players in, in the farm system after, uh, after Ashby. So, um, you know, there's no, there's no like one, like like they don't have a top 100 position or top 100 prospect right now outside of Ashby. So none of these position guys are there, but a bunch of those guys are really borderline top 100 guys, right? Like you can make a case for free look. You can make a case for. Garrett Mitchell, you can make a case for, for Bryce Terang. So, um, and I, and I think that they have some pretty good, you know, breakout type candidates who, you know, have the upside to, to be there. And, and some of the, you know, the, the other guys and, you know, who are still at the eight ball level, but um, yeah, right now the, the farm system is definitely more tilted toward uh, the hitters, even though there's not that one big time, you know, top 50, or I guess even top 100 technically, prospect in, in all of baseball where you can really hang your hat on on that guy but um you know I, I think you will see that track record start to uh shift over over the next few years as, as these guys uh, start to make their way to the big leagues so with that you mentioned this group of position players it's a lot of guys who are kind of on the cusp of the top 100. Bryce Terang has been in a top 100 before. Uh, Sal Frelick is someone, we got a lot of feedback as someone who deserved to be in the top 100. And Garrett Mitchell has been a top 100 prospect before as well. Was this the clear two to four in, in this group? How did you ultimately stack this up? And ultimately what put Bryce Terang at the top of this group? Yeah, I mean, with, you know, with Mitchell, well, I was going to say he's, <laughs> he, he he's the best combination of, you know, physicality and athleticism. Obviously, Sal Frillick is a very, very talented athlete uh, just in his own right. Um, but, you know, with with Mitchell, like if, if everything clicks in a perfect world scenario, you know, he would be the best player on this, you know, of, of that group of, of players, right? Because he has, out, you know, outstanding runner. You know, in, in BP, you see plus raw power. Uh, the he's got a strong arm, good defense in center field. There's also a, a lot of risk with his bat. Um, you know, both in terms of you know, especially you know what we saw when he got to Double A. Uh, the same swing questions that existed when he was at UCLA are still there. He he, you know, he has that big raw power, but you don't see that power in games just because the way his his swing works, right? Where in in college, um, you know, he would try to put the ball in play and put the ball on ground, or excuse me, put the ball on the ground and, and take advantage of uh, his speed and, and college defenses. And he, I mean, he did hit really well 
in college and, and he hit well in, in high when he was with Wisconsin too. But um, you know, it's some, you know, some of those holes you, you start to see uh, and, and there's a little bit more question marks as he works his way up. Um, but obviously a, a lot of ceiling and, and an upside there, if he's able to make those adjustments and then, yeah, I mean, you, you mentioned Freelick and, and Terang. Um, you know, I, I think you could argue again, I, th- I think you could argue any of these guys in, in any order. Um, the way I see it is I, you know, I, I really like Sal Freelick. Um, I, I think he has in, you know, obviously an impact tool in, in his speed and he's a really good athlete and, and can stick in the middle of the field and in center field and, and makes a lot of contact. Uh, you know, some sneaky power, I guess you could say for, for his size, but I don't think that's ever going to be uh, a big part of his game, but um, you know, a, a probably not like a four to five win type player, but could be a, you know, a solidly, you know, average to, you know, a little bit better than average type of player who could, you know, contribute value in a lot of different ways. Uh, but he's also, you know, he's the same age as, as Bryce Terang and, and Freelich we've seen do it at Boston college and, you know, a little bit in, in low a and in Carolina last year, whereas Bryce Terang we've seen do it again, pretty much at, at the same age in, in double a and in triple a and, and not that Terang's numbers were great. Otherwise I think it would have been an easy call uh, to put Terang ahead, but you know, in Terang you have a, another guy who makes a lot of contact controls the strike zone has, has moved through the system pretty quickly. Uh, again, 21 years old in, in triple a, um, you know, the question is how much impact is there going to be? Um, you know, if you're optimistic, you see, you know, a 15, 20 type home run player. Once he, uh, you know, learns which pitches to pull and, and starts to add more strength. But, um, you know, somebody who I think also has improved his chances to stay at, at shortstop as well. So, um, you know, there's, there's a reason all of these guys are just sort of borderline top 100 guys because there's a lot of different things to like. But uh, as we've talked through all these guys, there's a whole bunch of other, you know, risk factors too there where, uh, you know, they're kind of holding them back for, uh, for the moment. So I don't think it's, it's not like an obvious order of, of which, which way to sort these guys out. But I, I do think they, um, you know, at least separated themselves from uh, kind of the, the next tier of, of players in, in the organization. Yeah, one thing that does jump out to me is they all fit a little bit of a, of a profile. Again, the, the athletic left-handed hitter. Now, they're different. Again, Terang's an infielder. Freelich's a center fielder. And Mitchell's a center fielder who's, you know, bigger and more physical. Uh, Freelich and Terang are smaller, skinnier guys who, again, you mentioned Terang hoping for 15 to 20 home runs. Um, personally, you know, I, I go back to watching Bryce Terang when he was a freshman at Santiago High School. I'm skeptical of that. I, I've long thought this is more of a high on base, steal some bags with, you know, a, a decent amount of doubles. So I do think it's interesting, though, just kind of the similarity that, you know, this athletic left-handed hitting prototype the Brewers are trying to develop and, and really prioritize all these guys were first round picks. Yeah, I think in particularly in the case with Freelich and Terang, the and I think the contact skills are, are very appealing to them, too. Um, you know, you see that with Tyler Black 
uh, as well. They're, you know, their second pick in, in the draft out of Wright State um, in 2021. I would not put the athletic <laughs> tag quite as much on him, obviously, but um, with, with Mitchell, I think it was more, you know, geez, we, we thought this guy probably was going to go potentially in the top five to 10 picks and we got him, you know, toward the, the back end of the first round. So it was a little bit more uh, opportunistic there where, yeah, again, another athletic left-handed bat, obviously not the same pure uh, contact skills, but um, yeah, I think the, you know, athleticism and ability to, um, you know, play in the middle of the field and, and make a lot of contact are, are definitely things that they, uh, you know, prioritize, not that they're uh, alone in the industry by, by any means in that though. I'm going to put you on the spot. You ready? Go for it. What percentage would you put on Garrett Mitchell making enough contact to be an average everyday major leaguer? How much faith do you have that will happen? Hmm. 34% maybe. <laughs> I mean, the thing like if so, and so then if that happens, I mean, the, the, the outcome it's, it's not like, like some of it is just, will he make enough contact? And then some of it is also, will he make the type of contact that will allow him to fully tap into the tools that he has and in particular the power. Cause he could, if he makes a lot of contact, but he just, you know, keeps hitting a lot of ground balls. That's not going to be, that's not what's going to allow him to really maximize his skill set. Uh, like you said, he could be, you know, if, if he makes enough contact, there's a, a, just so many supplementary tools between the, the speed, the defense, the ability to, to, to handle center field too, where there's a lot of different things that could chip in value for him to be an average big leaguer. Um, but really for him to turn into the monster perfect world type scenario. Uh, he's, he's really got to make some adjustments to his swing to not just make more contact, but increase the the type and, and the quality of contact that he's making. And, you know, usually when it comes to betting on a player, making a, a fairly significant swing change, I'll probably bet against it. Like nothing against Garrett Mitchell. He has plenty of athleticism that I think bodes well for his ability to make adjustments. I just think it's difficult to do, uh, especially the, the older you get and the more ingrained your uh, swing is, but you know, we've seen, we've seen guys do it and it radically uh, transforms their, uh, their careers when that happens. Yeah, I probably phrased that wrong. I should have said impact contact or quality contact. This is not a guy who swings and misses a lot, but I, I go back to, so just background, um, I've seen Garrett Mitchell since he was at Orange Lutheran High School. I saw Garrett Mitchell when he was at UCLA. And my thing with him, and, and we talked about this on last year's podcast, is the amount of rolled over ground balls to second base. Uh, it's just been, you know, for a guy who, who there's just always been this talk about this power he has and this ability to drive a baseball. Um, overwhelmingly through through every level of his career, in my looks, it's been a lot of weak contact. Again, just soft ground balls to the second baseman. Uh, you know, maybe some some when he does get under it and get some air under it. More often than not, it's, you know, bloopers that drop in the shallow outfield. Um, you know, driving the ball consistently has has come in spurts, but 
it's not something that's ever really been sustainable. So that's always been my concern with him is, you know, you want to see it at some point and it just hasn't ever really happened. Um, he did have a good sophomore. You saw the doubles and triples rack up there, but it, I think that for me is where I'm a little skeptical of, again, I should have said impact contact or quality contact because he's not going to swing and miss. But, um, and I think that's where I also want to see what this Brewers player development group can do just because we've talked about they've struggled to develop hitters. But, but one thing that's happened that has made me a little more optimistic is the work they've done with someone they acquired. And that's Luis Urias, who I saw a lot like Elsinore, and he got completely out of who he was as a hitter as he moved up in the Padres system, uh, had a, you know, opened up his stance, had an awful leg kick that threw him off balance, completely lost who he was. He was not getting his foot down on time. And, and we saw that, you know, velocity started blowing him away in the major leagues and people were asking, well, it's, you know, can he hit a fastball? The answer is yes. He just wasn't on time. The Brewers did a very, very smart thing. They got him back into an even stance. The leg kick is now more straight up and down as opposed to starting at the third base dugout and finishing at the first base dugout. And we saw him have a, a much, much better year offensively this year, tap into more power. Uh, he was really good when they weren't, you know, wasting their time with him at shortstop. He's not a shortstop. He's, he's a second baseman who you can put at third base and then maybe fill in it short. Making him an everyday shortstop was a mistake that, to their credit, they realized very quickly and acquired Willie Adamas. But just seeing the offensive adjustments they were able to make with Luis Urias at the major league level gives me a little bit of optimism that maybe if they can start doing similar things to some of their kids in the minors, maybe this Brewers hitting development is going to be better than it's been in years past. And again, that that's a hope we have to see, but it is one thing that does give me a little bit more optimism that maybe they can coax some more impact contact out of Garrett Mitchell and help Bryce Terang and Sal Frelick and all these guys just continue to get better and, and become everyday big leaguers. Cause as we've mentioned, the Brewers haven't really had a homegrown everyday big leaguer since, you know, again, Jonathan Lucroy and Scooter Jeanette. Yeah, I mean, saw some adjustments from guys like Joey Weimer this past year. So, um, you know, <laughs> it's a, you know of a guy who has uh, certainly an, an unorthodox swing in his case, uh, and a guy who has a you know a, a ton of raw power. Um, you know, still still a very split camp too on, on him and how that's going to project going forward. But um, yeah, definitely some 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 more encouraging signs on the position player front for the for the brewers in the in the farm system right now i'm glad you mentioned joey weimer i want to dive into him a little bit as some of the kids they have down in the arizona complex league who made a good impression and really the, the back of this uh, top 10 in the farm system first we're going to take a quick break we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed if you need to hire you need indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast ditch the busy work use indeed for scheduling screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster and indeed doesn't just help you hire faster 93 percent of employers agree indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. What I love about using Indeed is how it does a lot of that organizational work for me. I can sort through candidates. I can respond to them. I can schedule interviews all through Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses, including Baseball America, that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Just go to Indeed.com slash Baseball America right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. All right, we are back with Ben Badler breaking down the Milwaukee Brewers farm system. Ben, we talked about this top five, Aaron Ashby at the top, and an interesting group of position players filling out uh, the two to five group, and especially the two to four group. One of the things that jumped out to me this year as I was just making calls around the country, uh, you know, scouts who were seeing teams at all levels, was how strong the reviews were for the group of prospects, particularly the group of international prospects, the Brewers had down in the Arizona complex league this year, Jefferson Carroll, the catcher being on top of that list. You had Hedbert Perez. You had a couple of guys who got a lot of positive reviews. And some of those guys checked in here at number six and seven on the list. You've talked about and written about recently, the brewers have really done a nice job getting talent on the international market. And it seems like at least at the lowest levels, it's translating. The numbers are there. The scouts are seeing it. What do the Brewers have here with this group of players who were in the ACL for the most part last year? Yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a pretty good group of, you know, especially Venezuelan players. I think the Brewers have done a a really good job scouting those players and, you know, uh, Hedbert Perez, you know, I think has become famous, but you know, $700,000 is still a big signing, but it's not, I got to, th- I don't know. I don't, I don't think it would be like a top. It certainly would not be a top 30 or f- I don't think even 40 bonus, let's say in, in his class. And he, you know, has, has developed into a, uh, probably a much better player uh, than people uh, expected early on uh, as a, as an amateur from him. If, you know, if they even saw him. So um, he's ticked up Jefferson Kiro was, was not a, big signing for them, you know, $200,000 solid kind of mid range ish type of player, maybe toward the lower end of, of mid range. Uh, but pretty quickly you could tell uh, this was a guy who could, you know, develop into one of their, one of their better prospects. And, and he showed that this year. And, you know, so even somebody like Jackson Churio who, uh, you know, stayed in the Dominican summer league all year. Um probably the most dynamic of, of those guys. Um, and Henry Mendez, I would, I would throw into that group. I mean, he's from the, from the Dominican Republic and, and doesn't have the, you know, he doesn't have the power that Hedrick Perez or, or the de- defensive value and, and supplementary tools that Kiro and Jackson Churio have, but um, man, he's a, he's a pretty advanced hitter. And I, you know, I saw him, I think everybody saw him playing, um, in the Dominican prospect league 
before he signed, uh, but he got he got a lot better <laughs> over over the course of time. When he was uh, an amateur, he, he grew taller, and um, the the Brewers were were right on and uh, making him one of their their top signings that year. So yeah, I think they've 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 certainly done one of the best jobs in Venezuela. And then you know you throw Mendez into that group too. It's it's a really strong. Uh, collection of international players at the at the lower levels of the of the organization obviously there's a ton of variance anytime you're talking about teenagers in the complex leagues but i do have to ask do any of these guys have star potential is it more solid everyday players which again is a great player development outcome what are we looking at here in terms of these guys long-term potential yeah i i think yeah like you said it's it's tough when they're you know still like 18 years old or, or maybe 19 at, at some point in some of these kids cases but um and you know haven't really played much above rookie ball obviously Hedbert got a promotion at at the end of the year but but yeah I mean I think Hedbert Perez he, he does need to become a a more selective hitter but he did hit well last year uh he does have a a very simple uh, easy and and powerful swing from from the left side of the plate again another good left-handed hitter and and pretty big power potential I think it's probably trending more toward uh, being a, a corner outfielder so it's uh, you know that power and and hit is, is really gonna have to be there at a high level but I think he has a a chance to do that uh, Jefferson Kiro again you know you can ask different evaluators who they would take Perez or Kiro and, and you can get uh, different answers and, and a split camp on that. And, and, you know, Kira has been banged up and injured quite, uh, you know, a, a decent amount. Um, so I think that's held him back, but, you know, we could be talking about him like, uh, you know, Kiebert Ruiz in, in a few years. I think he has that, you know, combination of defensive ability and, and contact skills too. So uh, I think he could be a, a big riser nationally potentially, uh, and, and Churio too. I think he's, I mean, he's really exciting. He just, you know, we've only seen him doing it for one year in, in the Dominican summer league, but he's, he's a much more dynamic athlete than either. And, you know, Perez is athletic, but, but Churio has a, like, you know, Churio could probably eat whatever he wants. He's never going to get fat. <laughs> he's, he's, he's just like really lean, lively, athletic, uh, bursty, explosive type of athlete. Uh, and he, and he had a good year too in, in the in the DSL in terms of his ability to uh, hit and and manages at bats and and there's power uh, in there too. So um, you know, I, I think he he has big big upside once more people start to uh, see him could could get uh, some more more recognition this this year. The guy who might be the most interesting player in the system, and you alluded to this earlier, was Joey Weimer. We talk about the Brewers have had some success with fourth-round picks. You look at Corbin Burns, you look at Aaron Ashby, and Joey Weimer was their fourth-rounder out of Cincinnati last year. Just to kind of give some background, early in the year, you know, making calls and watching some video, and we had some people on staff seeing him, he's always been a tremendous athlete. The tools, I mean, you can't miss them. He's big he's strong he can run he can throw it's all there 
But the reviews came back early on that he just was someone who played completely out of control. It was an out of control swing. Uh, it was out of control play in the outfield. He'd run into guys and, you know, almost injure his teammates. Uh, you know, he'd be getting called off and just keep running into guys. I mean, it was, again, there was just not a lot of discipline in any aspect of his game. And as a result, he, he just was not very good early in the year. The reviews I got earlier was just, you know, this is not going to work. A uh, violent grooved swing, no barrel manipulation, doesn't know how to take anything off. And uh, we saw that in the performance. And early on, it looked like this might be uh, the, the phrase tools goof comes to mind. A guy just, you know, has all these tools, but when it comes to actual baseball ability, it just wasn't there. And then he made an adjustment at midseason where he dropped his giant leg kick, replaced it with a toe tap and just started toning everything down. There's still a lot going on in his swing. You still see, you know, a bat waggle, and, and there's still a lot of big actions there, but it got toned down significantly from where it was, and he took off. Joey Weimer, for pretty much the second half of the season, was, I mean, one of, if not the best players in the minor leagues. From July on, he hit 335, 423, 673, hit 22 homers in 66 games. And what really stood out to me is uh, that began in low A, and you always should ignore the statistics college players put up in low A. They're they're facing guys who are below them experience-wise, ability-wise, and you don't want to put too much stock into it. But he only got better and hotter once he went up to high A in Wisconsin. And then he went to the Arizona Fall League, and it was a small stint before he got hurt, but it was loud everything just looked so, so, so good. And all of a sudden you're seeing a guy who from early in the season was just, yeah, a great athlete, but he just plays completely out of control to the detriment of both himself and his team to all of a sudden we might be looking at a middle of the order monster here. What should we make of this? Because again, it is the lower levels of the minor leagues and it was two good months, but man, it was loud and man, it was exciting. Yeah, big big time tools from uh, from him in terms of the the power, the top of the scale arm. I mean, even the speed, which you probably wouldn't expect because he's six five, two fifteen, and the the performance was there too. Obviously, the caveats apply for being a college guy still in mostly in, in low eight last year. Um, but yeah, you can. You, you can find scouts who will say, um, you know, he should be top five in this system. And then you can find other guys that are saying, why would you put him in the top 10? Or like, well, he doesn't belong in the top 10. So he, he's definitely somebody who draws a, a split camp on him. But if he goes out this year and continues to dominate when he gets to double a and we're seeing him do this now uh, against upper level pitching i think at that point he's he's got to move up this list and might move into the top 100 because the the tools are are outstanding the concern certainly coming out of college was just everything that he was doing in his swing where you, you just watch video and you're like, or just seeing him live. And you're like, why would you, why would you teach <laughs> somebody to swing like that? Or why would your body want to move uh, that way? But like you said, he made some adjustments where, yeah, I mean, there's still, you know, moving parts to the swing, but not as wild and, and out of control and not as disruptive to his timing uh, as it, you know, would have been had he, 
um, you know, not made, um, you know, some of those changes to, to what he was doing. And clearly it, it worked last year. So if, if we see him continue to carry that over, once he gets to the upper levels, he's absolutely a guy who could be, um, you know, moving, moving way up this list, I think. Yeah, I highlighted him after we released the top 100 as a guy that is certainly someone you can see an outcome where we look back 10 years from now, it's like, man, this guy should have been on the top 100. Just the, the level of ability is is so, so, so impressive. But you can also see it flaming out. And I think that's where, like you mentioned, the split camp. Um, there just isn't a lot of track record here, even in college. You know, he's hitting 260, playing in a mid-major. Um, so it, it's not something where you know, you can bank on, oh, he's got this great track record. You're really banking on what we saw those final two, two and a half months after he made an adjustment. But uh, it's exciting enough to, to certainly be optimistic and, and seeing what he's able to do next year, uh, high double A, or even if he goes straight to double A. Uh, he's just one of the guys I know I'm going to be personally most excited to, to keep an eye on just to see what happens because it, it can go so many different ways. But if it clicks, I mean, it's, I, I would go so far as to say, again, just, just, having the history I have with Terang and Mitchell and in fairness, I don't have the history with Frelick. So you can maybe speak to this, but for my money, I, I actually think Joey Weimer has the ability to be the best big leaguer of all those guys. I just need to, we all just need to see him. Okay. Can he continue what he did? Can he sustain it? He's, he is up there with some of the most fascinating players uh, for sure. Not just in this organization, but I think in any system in, in baseball. Absolutely. Ben, this organization came in number 24 in our organization talent rankings, but we've talked about that there is a lot of talent here. I do feel like this is a system where if a couple things happen, we could be looking at, at a fast rising system. We talked about some of these kids in the Arizona complex league. We talked about Joey Weimer, maybe making some adjustments. We talked about Garrett Mitchell, possibly making some adjustments and Aaron Ashby. He'll probably graduate, but I could see them moving up a little bit. And and some of that too is there is depth beyond the top 10. You mentioned Henry Mendez. Who are some of the other guys in this system, maybe even in the 15 to 30 range that you wouldn't be surprised if a year from now we're talking about as, as maybe top 10 prospects in this system and guys that can potentially make an impact for this team down the line. Yeah. I mean, I, I think they're, they certainly have guys in their top 10, you know, the Kiros and Perez and Mendez, uh, or uh, Churio, um, who who could break out more in a, from a national perspective. Now, beyond that group, there's not like a. I don't love their their depth. Um, like there's not there's not a guy where I'm like, oh, all right, if if this guy, you know, who's who's at the lower levels breaks out, he he could be a real fast riser up their system. I I I, I struggle to see the guy like that. It's you know, solid guy, like a Freddie Zamora is, you know, a solid prospect to have for uh, a depth guy. You know, Antoine Kelly is, is a huge X factor. I mean, with the thoracic outlet syndrome where he looked great in 2020 and, you know, obviously in 2021, you know, stuff came back or at least the velocity came back, but it was still uh, kind of all over the place and then feeling himself, um, you know, trying to come back from, from that. I, you know, I, I think Luis Lara from their international class this year is, is a pretty interesting guy. 
Um, like we talked about Brewers having a lot of success recently in, in Venezuela and he's a, you know, s- smaller, uh, athletic player who, who can run and sounds like has really good contact skills and, and a chance to, you know, stick up the, up the middle. So, uh, I'm really intrigued to see how he looks, but, uh, would definitely want to see him, uh, play at least in the Dominican summer league first for, uh, juicing him up the list too far. I'm going to be curious to see again, just how a lot of these guys progress. Cause as we've talked about, there, there is ability here, particularly in this top 10. And this is a system I could see rising, you know, a decent ways next year. Um, but again, that, that there's a lot of ifs attached to that. And you could also see it not go really anywhere. If, if these guys don't make the adjustments or if Joey Weimer, uh, struggles and Garrett Mitchell continues to struggle and all those things happen. So I actually think it's going to be a fascinating year to watch the Brewers farm system and all the while they should still be a playoff contender and division title contender in the national league central. So I do think that's one key component here as we talk about all these players and all the ifs, ands and, you know, questions surrounding some of them at the end of the day, the point is to have a really good major league team and the Brewers have that. They certainly could use some reinforcements on the offensive side. We saw that exposed a little bit during the postseason, but this is still a 95 win team with a lot of the key guys coming back. And especially if Christian Yelich can return to form a little bit, they acquired Hunter Renfro that that could potentially give them a little more thumb. But I, I do feel like as an organization, when you look at where the major league team is, you look at some of the talent they have in this farm system I do feel like they're in a really good place and are in position to continue contending. It's not like they've reached four straight postseasons, but they're approaching the end of their window. I do feel like this is a team that can keep this going a little bit. Yeah. And like you said, where you could see the system rising next year, I could just as easily see some of these guys that we talked about ending up in another organization by the end of the year to try to, whether it's reinforce that lineup or, or add somewhere else to to the major league club because they should be a contender again. So I could also see a scenario where, again, for the right reasons, they're you know still a bottom 10, 21 to 30 type of farm system because they're you know using some of these guys who who they've acquired, uh, whether it's through international free agency or or through the draft to try to um, you know bolster that that big league club, club to to try to win now. Yeah, certainly. There's a lot of guys for intriguing. We already saw them trade David Hamilton and Alex Benelis to uh, the Red Sox for Hunter Renfro. Uh, we've already seen them do that once, and after the lockout lifts and we get underway, we'll see if they continue to do that. Ben, appreciate your insight as always, and this is a fun organization. It's been fun having you on it, and I enjoy talking to you about them, and yeah, it's a good group. Always great talking with you, Kyle. All right, everyone, that'll do it for another Baseball America Prospects podcast. Go ahead and give us a review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever platform you're listening on. We'd love to hear from you. For Ben Badler, I'm Kyle Glazer. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, everybody. 